morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm the pastor here, and um, it's cold outside, so thanks for being here. Uh, don't know what the next few days hold for us, but uh, at least for today and for right now, it is very sunshiny, so uh, glad to be here with you this morning. One, first, a welcome to all of the elementary age kiddos that are still sitting among us right now. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why, kids, you're here right now. One, you matter. And so we don't only want to sequester you to the back of the building, but also include you in all of the things that it means to be a participant in the body of Christ uh, and to engage and enjoy in what, Lord willing, you're going to be doing for the rest of your life, which is showing up for gathered worship uh, and worshiping with your friends and your family. So um, we're also giving our Kid Town leaders a break for a couple of weeks, for these three weeks. Uh, and so Kid Town leaders, thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy and in pouring into uh, all of these kids that are scattered among us right now. I uh, hope you also enjoy this time as a little bit of a rest and reprieve uh, as we jump back into uh, normal Kid Town stuff here in a couple of weeks. With that, actually today, we're going to jump right in to the scripture passage. So Emily Carter, I believe, is going to come up and read. Let's go. I hope you brought your binoculars or you have good eyesight because these are kind of small. You got it right there? Do that. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, one more thing to mention about the kids that I failed to mention a minute ago. In the back, there are clipboards with some journaling pages. Uh, if you, children, or anybody else uh, would like a little bit of assistance paying attention and staying engaged this morning, you can go back and, uh, and grab those, and they should be there for you. So I was eight years old when the show The Real World debuted. And this show changed the face of television for the next 20 years, probably 
still to this day. So the best way I can explain, if you're not of the generation, to have any idea what I'm talking about right now, music television, MTV, used to be a place where you would go to watch music videos, which made all kinds of sense. Then somewhere in the early 90s, it shifted so that it became a place to go and watch some of the grungiest television that you could find on any station. This is how uh, the real world debuted on the first episode uh, and every episode after that. In the intro reel, it says this. This is the true story of seven strangers picked to live in a house. Can you hear it? Those of you who've watched the show. Picked to live in a house, work together, and have their lives taped to find out what happens when people stop being polite and start getting real. This is the real world. So this first season, they shoved seven young adults with lots of hormones and little sense into a New York City loft apartment for three months and just said, go be you. And as you can imagine what that turned into, it turned into there was romance, then there was breakups, there was fistfights, and there was friendships, there was alliances, and there was insults. And all of this is just happening, and everyone watching thought, this is amazing. (laughs) And it changed the face of TV for things like, it set a template for The Bachelor, for uh, Survivor, for Big Brother, for The Amazing Race, for Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, and every other TLC and other uh, reality show that would come after it. And why do we like to watch these things? What is it that has garnered so much attention and changed the way so many channels did their programming over the last 20 or 30 years It's sort of like the same reason we can't look away at a train wreck. There's something that is so like gloriously awful about watching the carnage and the wreckage that happens. Because that's what happens when you shove strangers together that have nothing in common and say, go. Today we're going to talk about church where you shove strangers together who have nothing in common and tell them, go. Even what you're doing here this morning. Why why would we choose to do this to ourselves? There has to be a good reason. And thankfully there is. Uh, We fundamentally believe that we are better for this. Or else hopefully you wouldn't be here. Hopefully the reason that you're here is you're seeking to grow this year. You're seeking to grow, uh, hopefully, in your relationship with God this year. And through that, grow in whatever other ways he might be growing you into. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're not exactly sure why you're here. And I hope maybe even some of what we're going to, uh, to study in this story of Peter, both the very beginning of his story and the end, uh, can tell us about what it is to do life in the church. Because fundamentally, we started this series last week, we're, we're spending this three weeks at the front end of the year answering the question, how do people change? Like if I'm coming into this year wanting all kinds of things in my life to be different, as many of us do. Then the question is, how does that happen? 
How do I go about changing? And maybe even a more fundamental question is, who or what do I want to change into? Because we could fill that blank with all kinds of things. But the Bible fundamentally has an answer for us for both how we change and who we are to change into. So Jesus, if you remember uh, at the, the very beginning of the first passage that Emily just read, he says this. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so we're framing these three weeks on how we change, what is the Lord calling us into in health, in life, in flourishing in the next year in these three indicatives or these three imperatives. Follow me. He's inviting us to grow in relationship with him, which we began that conversation last week. Secondly, and I will make you. And that you is plural. I will make y'all. Jesus didn't just invite one-on-one relationship. He invited a group to follow him and be with him and be with each other. This is the genesis of the church right here. And I will make you into something, fishers of men. He's inviting us to grow in relationship both internally in the church among other believers, and he's inviting us to engage in all kinds of amazing ways in this world around us. So when, when Jesus says, follow me and I will make you, I will make y'all, he's inviting us into a communal relationship with him and other people where he is the one doing the changing and the context by which he's doing the changing is rubbing up against other people, making mistakes, messing up, hurting each other, shoving a bunch of people who have nothing in common together and saying, go. But he's among us. And he's the one that is using everything that happens in our lives and everything that happens in the church, both positive and negative, for his benefit and for yours. So that's where we're going today. Uh, If you want to grow to be more loving, If you want to grow, if you also believe that the Bible is true and and what it says in Genesis 1 and 2 is that we are relational beings made in the image of a relational God, then if you want to grow into that more, there's a template. Jesus gives us that template this morning. So here's the fundamental idea. We are formed for relationship with each other by our relationship with Jesus. And as that relationship more and more flows into us and changes us, so then it begins to impact all of our other relationships. So that's where we're going. Uh, And the safe place then that he has given us to work that out and to exercise that is the church. So two questions that we're going to answer this morning. One, why are relationships so hard? Two, uh, how does the church train us for healthy relationships? Why are relationships so hard? How does the church train us for healthy relationships? Okay, so we read these two passages, right? One is in Matthew. uh, One is at the very beginning of Matthew. One is at the very end 
of John. And these form bookends, at least in the Gospels. Peter continues on after this time. But this forms sort of a bookends of Peter's life in his following of Jesus before Jesus goes away and ascends to heaven. Um, The beginning of the relationship between Jesus and Peter happens in Matthew 4. The initiation of Jesus moving towards Peter and saying, follow me, building that beginning of a relationship with him starts in Matthew 4. And what we find in John 21 is there has just been wreckage and carnage and chaos that has happened. And some of that has been done at the hands of Peter. Peter has betrayed this close relationship that he has been building with Jesus over the course of the past number of years. Three years or so, they had been friends and been together. And constantly during that time, he was... <laughs> every, almost every one of Peter's stories is in Scripture is one of Peter's bravado or his pride or his misunderstandings of Jesus and is being just sort of generally unhelpful as a disciple. Does anybody else uh, maybe vibe with that uh, same sentiment? Because if Jesus were to follow me around all day, he'd find the same things that he found in Peter. If Jesus were to go with me from sunup to sundown and he were to take a tally of every time that I was unloving to somebody... And by the way, he also knows my thoughts, which Peter says, like, you know, I love you, Jesus. He actually does, because he also knows your thoughts. Every time I was unloving to someone, every time I judged, gossiped, had selfish motivations, even if I looked good on the outside, uh, was harsh, was mean, spoke harshly, withdrew, kept a record of wrongs, didn't forgive, lied, cheated, stealed, so on and so forth. How many tallies would you have? I'd have plenty. I would have just the same amount, if not more, as Peter. Peter just unfortunately had all of his recorded in the history books. Thankfully, mine aren't. But we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat with being relationally broken. We're all in the same boat with having trouble knowing how we learn and live and love from one another. Uh, There's been a really helpful book to me, and I meant to have it up here, and I don't. Um, But in framing out this series, it's called The Relational Soul. And here are a couple of quotes from The Relational Soul that I think helps us to start to understand why relationships are so hard. He says this, no one enters life ready-made for communion with God or other people. The foundation of relational connection and communion is the capacity to trust appropriately and well. So if we're going to relate to God and to others, we need to get to the bottom of our mistrust and find out how to change it. Because relationship at a base level is a self-giving. It is a mutual self-giving. Me for you, you for me. 
And we experience this in all kinds of layers, in all kinds of levels, depending on how close, as close as a spouse or a child, or this could be just with the neighbor across the street who needs some sugar or some eggs. But there is a self-giving and an others receiving that is the bedrock of relationship. So mistrust then erodes that self-giving. And it erodes the trust that another person's true self is what I am receiving. This is at the base of why relationships are so hard. Because going all the way back to Adam and Eve and their sin in the garden, ultimately was a sin of mistrust. It was a sin of unbelief. I don't believe, God, that you actually have my best in mind. You're telling me one thing, but I'm wanting to do another. And I'm going to choose to go with what I think and trust myself instead of trusting you, leaning into you, building relationship, giving myself to you, and receiving from you. Or, kids, have you ever played the game? Uh, Hold out your hand and close your eyes and I'll give you a big surprise. (laughs) Right? What you want in that moment is candy. What you get in that moment, if you did this in elementary school, is a booger. I thought that good, Emily. There is a trust that is necessary for relationship to be built, but often we hold our hands out in relationship, hoping for candy, and what we wind up with is a booger. (laughs) Sorry, I was not really planning on saying that. Um, But this is where we are, and this is who we are. But the beauty of Jesus is this is when he does his best work. Because the invitation of Jesus is, will you be your real self in front of me? Will you self-give to me? Not the you that you think that I want to see, but the actual you. Like every part of you, even the part of you that you don't want anybody else to see, that you don't even want to see and try not to see as often as you can. Did Peter mistrust Jesus? When did he not? Peter, let me wash your feet. Nah. Peter, I'm going to die. No. Peter, walk out on the water to me. Ah. Over and over and over again. Peter, you're going to deny me. I would never. Jesus isn't just trying to get a gotcha out of Peter. He's inviting Peter to open up his full self to Jesus. And he invites us into the very same relationship. Because he he goes on to say, I didn't come for those who are well. Those who go to the doctor aren't those that are well. They're the sick. I came for the sick. So will you bring your sickness to me? Will you bring your relational brokenness to me? Will you bring the ways that you have wronged other people to me? Will you bring the ways that you have been wronged to me? And let me love you there? 
and be open to receive from me in that place? Because if we look at our track record and how mistrust affects our relationships, uh, just a couple of questions maybe to help get behind this a little bit for you. Do you change how you act depending on who you're around? Are you overly preoccupied about what others think about you? Do you struggle to know if someone else is being genuine or just being nice? These are all places where we are constantly jockeying. I'm going to give enough of myself so that you will give me what I want from you, but not too much that you might reject me. And this is a constant game that we play in all of our relationships. Parent to child, spouse to spouse, friend to friend. Have you ever done something that violated someone's trust and hurt them deeply? We know the pain that those things can cause. And Jesus says, bring yourself to me. I want to love you there. That's why relationships are so hard. Our addiction to self, our mistrust of others, potentially because of how we've been hurt in the past, rightly even, These are the things that make relationship such a miss so often. So then how does the church train us for relationship? When Jesus says, follow me, 12 disciples, live together with me for three years, bump up against each other, argue about who's the greatest, constantly misunderstand your leader, and I will teach you to be loving people. And in fact, I will teach you to be so loving that you will then, the end of our John passage, that you will even give your whole life for me and others in the same way that I have given my life for you. So two ways I think that the church trains us for relationship. First, the message of the church. And secondly, the mission of the church. If you notice the way that the interaction between Jesus and Peter goes here. Have you ever noticed and have you ever wondered why after Peter's betrayal, Jesus comes to him and then he asks him the same question three times. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Why is he doing that? Did Did he forget? Did he not trust what Peter was saying and so he needed to make sure that Peter like was really sure did Peter have to rededicate himself to Jesus again and again yes you know I do yes you know I do this was for Peter because how many times did Jesus deny I'm sorry did Peter deny Jesus three times And so what is Jesus doing but inviting Peter to stare at that wrong in the face? Jesus does not sweep our sin under the rug. He is both compassionate and he is honest. And so he invites you and he opens the book of your life and he says, can we look at this together? 
And then the longer that he reads and the more misdeeds of yours that you see, the more that you think that you should be, the more that you feel with yourself withdrawing from this Jesus and the more you feel Jesus continuing to kind of come up to you like this, shoulder to shoulder. Because those are the places where Jesus wants to love you. Three times Peter was denied and three times Peter is restored. He has given back those same two words that Peter probably was wondering, I don't know if I'm ever going to hear those again. Follow me. Meaning, be in relationship with me again. Peter, will you? Will you follow me? I see your brokenness. I see every part of you. You have wounded me in relationship and I still love you. And that's not just a message for Peter. That's a message for us. Because before the foundations of the world, God the Father asked God the Son, do you love me? And Jesus said, you know I do. He said, then lay down your life for my sheep. And the rest of history is an acting out and a living out of that reality. And so Jesus comes from heaven to earth to die on a cross like a sheep slain, like a lamb slain. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that relationship between heaven and earth and relationship between us, one another could be restored. The message of the gospel, which every true gospel-preaching, Bible-believing church around this city and around this world, that is our task, is to keep saying the same thing over and over and over again, to preach Christ crucified, because that is the power. That is the dynamite that begins to sink down deeper and deeper into us and then change us from the inside out. But then Jesus doesn't only want to love us sort of where we are and keep us there, but he also invites us to follow him in continuing to grow into his likeness. So it's not only this message of the gospel that continues to grow deep and change us internally, but the wacky thing is the more that we believe, Jesus tells Peter when he's asking how many times he has to forgive somebody who hurts him, the whole not seven times but 77, which means forever. Jesus says in that conversation, if you've been forgiven much, then you're going to love much. Have you thought about that dynamic? Like when I see the broken relationship between God and I that I have been the perpetrator of and I see the move of heaven to earth to come towards me to reconcile that relationship, not because of anything I've done or ever did or will do, not because of anything I've done to merit that, but only because of the initiating love of Jesus then that creates a relational capacity in me that I did not have before. 
that when someone wrongs me, which in comparison to the wrongs that I have done before God are minuscule, though we can wrong each other in very harmful ways. I'm not trying to minimize that. Those are places now where we can see so great a debt have I been forgiven, so great a debt can I forgive. And you can apply this in any kind of way. I think this would even be something as you meditate on Scripture, this would be a helpful place to go. How is Jesus loving me right now through these words? And how particularly is that changing and softening the way that I will go about loving other people? If he's slow to anger with me, how can that change me and slow me down in my quick, hot anger towards my children? If Jesus so lavishly provides everything that I need, pushing all of his chips on the table for my benefit, then how does that begin to open my hands in generosity for my neighbor? And you could apply it in all kinds of ways. So when you shove a bunch of those people in a room, a bunch of Jesus people in the room, a bunch of people who are being changed by this message of the gospel, then the mission of the church begins to enliven. Because the mission of the church is to make disciples. And yes, next week we're going to talk about how that looks as we go out into all of our everyday life places. But for today, I want to talk about how do we make disciples one of another? How does Ephesians 4, that we are constantly speaking the truth in love, building each other up into him who is the head into Christ, how does that happen? That only happens as we are changed more and more to receive the love of Jesus, to then give ourselves fully to him, enabling us to give ourselves to other people and receive from them even as imperfectly as that may go. So Peter's role in that was to be an apostle. Now, last time I checked, I don't think any of us in here are called to be apostles. But what we are called to is also in Ephesians 4, we have many gifts that we have received, and those are meant to build one another up. One of you is gifted for generosity. One of you is gifted for hospitality. One of you is gifted towards ministry for children. One of you is gifted towards speaking the truth in love. One of you is gifted towards discernment. And all of those things begin to build this community that actually is better together. This is the way that C.S. Lewis talks about it. He says, in each of my friends, there's something that only that other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I'm not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all his facets. Can you think of somebody in your life who you're different when you're around them? Like, there's a part of you that is enlivened. There's a part of you that's unlocked when you're around that person. When life just sparkles a little more, and you're a little more free, and you're a little more you in that moment. That's the beauty of relationship, is that it draws, because we are, again, fundamentally relational beings, only you can draw something out of me that I'm in my true self, authentic self, only in and of myself self can't bring out. No, my true self is to be rightly related to you. 
And your true self is to be rightly related to me. And we together bring a beauty out of each other. We bring mess too. We're about to talk about that. But we also bring beauty out of one another that can change a city. And that can certainly be enjoyed within these walls, in your small groups, and all the other places that we do life together throughout the week. So, let's finish here. Kids, have you ever been to a petting zoo? Yeah? Raise your hand if you've been to a petting zoo. Yep. Okay. Uh, when, you see, when you see petting zoos on Instagram, do they look, like, super clean? Yeah? Do they look super tidy? Yeah? Do they look like they smell? No. When you go to a petting zoo, is it clean? Is it tidy? Does it smell good? Welcome to the church. We have, we have six chickens. And from afar, they're beautiful birds. Polly calls them Sarah's pet chickens. They're not farm animals. They are pets. One of them was in our house the other day. But when you go to them on their turf, it's muddy, it's smelly, it's messy. And something interesting that I've learned about chickens, I've learned all kinds of things. I could tell you more than you would want to know or I would want to say. Uh, but one of the things I've learned is that if they don't have enough food, sometimes chickens can get a taste for chicken. Did you know this? They can get a taste for one another. And so if they're not feeding, go with me, if they're not feeding and being fed by their farmer, by the master, by the giver of the food, they will start to peck and get a taste for one another. The way that we continue in health as dirty and as stinky and as messy as relationship in the church can be, what I don't want you to hear me say this morning is that if you have been hurt or wounded by relationship in the church, I'm sorry. And I hope this can be a place of healing, and I wish I could promise that it won't happen again. But I can't. Because if I've learned anything in being a pastor for 15 years or so now is that I can barely trust, I can't trust myself. I need you to help keep me smelling nice. I need a community of pastors, this midtown community of pastors to keep me with my head on straight. And we all need that same thing. And so what each of us, if there was one thing I could say, let's do this together this year. Let's keep feeding on Jesus. Keep bringing our full selves to him and receiving his full self to us. And then let's see what he does. And we don't have to manufacture it and we don't have to have a cool program for it and it doesn't have to have a tagline. All those things can be great, but let's just start there. Like, let's be in relationship with Jesus sourcing all of our needs from him as much as is possible and the spirit allows. And then let's just see how relationship begins to go. Let's see if we don't become a kinder 
and more thoughtful parent. Let's see if we don't take more initiative towards hard conversations and difficult relationship. Let's see if we don't find a new capacity in us to forgive because we more and more grasp just how deep our forgiveness goes. I could keep talking, but I have to stop. Okay. Love you guys. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we pray that you would change us. We pray that you would love us. And we know that you do, but we pray that we would get it that we, by your Spirit's power, would even now for the rest of this service be open and receptive to you. We want to hear from you. We want to receive your love. We want your Spirit to cry out, Abba, Father, inside of us, more and more convincing us of your smile over us in Christ. For all who are unsure, this morning of if you smile on them or not, Father, I pray that you would both show us our great need for a Savior in the book of wrongs that we have to bring to you, and you would sit beside us, look at those wrongs, look us in the eyes, and embrace us. That we would be different because of it. We pray in your name. Amen.